Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. At Pluralsight, they believe everyone should have the opportunity to create progress through technology. Pluralsight is a tech workforce development company that provides the solutions that high-performing engineering teams need to tackle today's biggest challenges. Whether you need to build the skills, individuals, and teams to tackle mission-critical projects, drive cloud transformation, or help software teams ship reliable, scalable, and secure code, you can harness the collective power of hindsight, foresight, and insight with Pluralsight. Check them out today at Pluralsight.com slash vision. Your plans? Today it's dinner with the parents at your spot. We gotta come back here. Now, their spot. Or you're on the edge of your seat at the game. Come on, just one time. And it's the one. Or maybe you're catching the next flight to... Now boarding flight 1850. Oh, that's you. The choice is yours. And when you're with Amex... It's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Part 1 of The Adventure of the Three Students from The Return of Sherlock Holmes This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zara The Return of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle THE ADVENTURE OF THE THREE STUDENTS PART One. It was in the year ninety-five that a combination of events, into which I need not enter, caused Mr. Sherlock Holmes and myself to spend some weeks in one of our great university towns. And it was during this time that the small but instructive adventure which I am about to relate befell us. It will be obvious that any details which would help the reader exactly to identify the college or the criminal would be injudicious and offensive. So painful a scandal may well be allowed to die out. With due discretion, the incident itself may, however, be described, since it serves to illustrate some of those qualities for which my friend was remarkable. I will endeavor in my statement to avoid such terms as would serve to limit the events to any particular place, or give a clue as to the people concerned. We were residing at the time in furnished lodgings close to a library where Sherlock Holmes was pursuing some laborious researches in the early English charters, researches which led to results so striking that they may be the subject of one of my future narratives. Here it was that one evening we received a visit from an acquaintance, Mr. Hilton Soames, tutor and lecturer at the College of St. Luke's. Mr. Soames was a tall, spare man of a nervous and excitable temperament. I had always known him to be restless in his manner, but on this particular occasion he was in such a state of uncontrollable agitation that it was clear something very unusual had occurred. "'I trust, Mr. Holmes, that you can spare me a few hours of your valuable time,' 
"'We have had a very painful incident at St. Luke's, and really, but for the happy chance of your being in town, I should have been at a loss what to do.' "'I am very busy now, and I desire no distractions,' my friend answered. "'I should much prefer that you called in the aid of the police.' "'No, no, my dear sir, such a course is utterly impossible.' When once the law is evoked, it cannot be stayed again, and this is just one of those cases where, for the credit of the college, it is most essential to avoid scandal. Your discretion is as well known as your powers, and you are the one man in the world who can help me. I beg you, Mr. Holmes, to do what you can. My friend's temper had not improved, since he had been deprived of the congenial surroundings of Baker Street. Without his scrapbooks, his chemicals, and his homely untidiness, he was an uncomfortable man. He shrugged his shoulders in ungracious acquiescence, while our visitor in hurried words and with much excitable gesticulation poured forth his story. "'I must explain to you, Mr. Holmes, that to-morrow is the first day of the examination for the Fortescue Scholarship. I am one of the examiners. My subject is Greek, and the first of the papers consists of a large passage of Greek translation which the candidate has not seen.' The passage is printed on the examination paper, and it would naturally be an immense advantage if the candidate could prepare it in advance. For this reason, great care is taken to keep the paper secret. Today, about three o'clock, the proofs of this paper arrive from the printers. The exercise consists of half a chapter of Thucydides. I had to read it over carefully, as the text must be absolutely correct. At four-thirty, my task was not yet completed. I had, however, promised to take tea in a friend's rooms, so I left the proof upon my desk. I was absent rather more than an hour. You are aware, Mr. Holmes, that our college doors are double, a green baize one within and a heavy oak one without. As I approached my outer door, I was amazed to see a key in it. For an instant I imagined that I had left my own there, but on feeling in my pocket I found that it was all right. The only duplicate which existed, so far as I knew, was that which belonged to my servant, Bannister a man who has looked after my room for ten years, and whose honesty is absolutely above suspicion. I found that the key was indeed his, that he had entered my room to know if I wanted tea, and that he had very carelessly left the key in the door when he came out. His visit to my room must have been within a very few minutes of my leaving it. His forgetfulness about the key would have mattered little upon any other occasion, but on this one day it has produced the most deplorable consequences." The moment I looked at my table, I was aware that someone had rummaged among my papers. The proof was in three long slips. I had left them all together. Now I found that one of them was lying on the floor, one was on the side table near the window, and the third was where I had left it. Holmes stirred for the first time. The first page on the floor, the second in the window, the third where you left it, said he. Exactly, Mr. Holmes, you amaze me. How could you possibly know that? Pray, continue your very interesting statement. For an instant, I imagined that Bannister had taken the unpardonable liberty of examining my papers. He denied it, however, with the utmost earnestness, and I am convinced that he was speaking the truth. The alternative was that someone passing had observed the key in the door, had known that I was out, and had entered to look at the papers. A large sum of money is at stake, for the scholarship is a very valuable one, and an unscrupulous man might very well run a risk in order to gain an advantage over his fellows. Bannister was very much upset by the incident. He had nearly fainted when we found that the papers had undoubtedly been tampered with. I gave him a little brandy, and left him collapsed in a chair while I made a most careful examination of the room. I soon saw that the intruder had left other traces of his presence besides the rumpled papers. On the table in the window were several shreds from a pencil which had been sharpened. 
A broken tip of lead was lying there also. Evidently the rascal had copied the paper in a great hurry, had broken his pencil, and had been compelled to put a fresh point to it. "'Excellent!' said Holmes, who was recovering his good humor as his attention became more engrossed by the case. "'Fortune has been your friend!' "'Well, this was not all. I have a new writing-table with a fine surface of red leather. I am prepared to swear, and so is Bannister, that it was smooth and unstained. Now I found a clean cut in it, about three inches long, not a mere scratch, but a positive cut. Not only this, but on the table I found a small ball of black dough or clay with specks of something which looks like sawdust in it. I am convinced that these marks were left by the man who rifled the papers. There were no footmarks and no other evidence as to his identity. I was at my wit's end when suddenly the happy thought occurred to me that you were in the town, and I came straight round to put the matter into your hands. Do help me, Mr. Holmes. You see my dilemma. Either I must find the man, or else the examination must be postponed until fresh papers are prepared. And since this cannot be done without explanation, there will ensue a hideous scandal." which will throw a cloud not only on the college, but on the university. Above all things, I desire to settle the matter quietly and discreetly. "'I shall be happy to look into it, and give you such advice as I can,' said Holmes, rising and putting on his overcoat. "'The case is not entirely devoid of interest. Had anyone visited you in your room after the papers came to you?' "'Yes. Young Dowlet Ross, an Indian student who lives on the same stair, came in to ask me some particulars about the examination.' for which he was entered? Yes. And those papers were on your table? To the best of my belief, they were rolled up. But might be recognized as proofs? Possibly. No one else in your room? No. Did anyone know that these proofs would be there? No one save the printer. Did this man Barrister know? No, certainly not. No one knew. Where is Bannister now? He was very ill, poor fellow. I left him collapsed in the chair. I was in such a hurry to come to you. You left your door open? I locked up the papers first. Then it amounts to this, Mr. Soames, that unless the Indian student recognized the roll as being proofs, the man who tampered with them came upon them accidentally without knowing that they were there. So it seems to me. Holmes gave an enigmatic smile. Well, said he, let us go round. Not one of your cases, Watson. Mental, not physical. All right. Come if you want to. Now, Mr. Soames, at your disposal. The sitting-room of our client opened by a long, low, latticed window on the ancient lichen-tinted court of the old college. A gothic arched door led to a worn stone staircase. On the ground floor was the tutor's room. Above were three students, one on each story. It was already twilight when we reached the scene of our problem. Holmes halted and looked earnestly at the window. Then he approached it, and, standing on tiptoe with his neck craned, he looked into the room. "'He must have entered through the door. There is no opening except the one pane,' said our learned guide. "'Dear me,' said Holmes, and smiled in a singular way as he glanced at our companion. "'Well, if there is nothing to be learned here, we had best go inside.' The lecturer unlocked the outer door and ushered us into his room. We stood at the entrance, while Holmes made an examination of the carpet. "'I am afraid there are no signs here,' said he. "'One could hardly hope for any upon so dry a day. "'Your servant seems to have quite recovered. "'You left him in a chair, you say? Which chair?' "'By the window there.' "'I see, near this little table. You can come in now. I have finished with the carpet. "'Let us take the little table first. "'Of course, what has happened is very clear.' 
The man entered and took the papers, sheet by sheet, from the central table. He carried them over to the window table, because from there he could see if you came across the courtyard, and so could effect an escape. "'As a matter of fact, he could not,' said Solmes, "'for I entered by the side door.' "'Ah, that's good. Well, anyhow, that was in his mind. "'Let me see the three strips. No finger impressions, no. "'Well, he carried over this one first, and he copied it.' How long would it take him to do that, using every possible contraction? A quarter of an hour, not less. Then he tossed it down and seized the next. He was in the midst of that when your return caused him to make a very hurried retreat. Very hurried, since he had not time to replace the papers which would tell you that he had been there. You were not aware of any hurrying feet on the stairs you entered the outer door? No, I can't say I was. Well, he wrote so furiously that he broke his pencil and had, as you observed, to sharpen it again. This is of interest, Watson. The pencil was not an ordinary one. It was above the usual size, with a soft lead, the outer color was dark blue, the maker's name printed in silver lettering, and the piece remaining is only about an inch and a half long. Look for such a pencil, Mr. Soames, and you have got your man. When I add that he possesses a very large and very blunt knife, you have an additional aid. Mr. Soames was somewhat overwhelmed by this flood of information. I can follow the other points, says he, but, but really, in this matter of the length— Holmes held out a small chip with the letters N.N. and a space of clear wood after them. You see? No, I fear that even now— Watson, I have always done you an injustice. There are others. What could this N.N. be? It is at the end of a word. You are aware that Johann Faber is the most common maker's name. Is it not clear that there is just as much of the pencil left as usually follows the Johann? He held the small table sideways to the electric light. I was hoping that if the paper on which he wrote was thin, some trace of it might come through upon this polished surface. No, I see nothing. I don't think there is anything more to be learned here. Now, for the central table. This small pellet is, I presume, the black doughy mass you spoke of? Roughly pyramidal in shape, and hollowed out, I perceive. As you say, there appear to be grains of sawdust in it. Dear me, this is very interesting. And the cut, a positive tear, I see— it began with a thin scratch and ended in a jagged hole. I am much indebted to you for directing my attention to this case, Mr. Solmes. Where does that door lead to? To my bedroom. Have you been in it since your adventure? No, I came straight away for you. I should like to have a glance around. What a charming, old-fashioned room. Oh, perhaps you will kindly wait a minute until I have examined the floor. No, I see nothing. What about this curtain? You hang your clothes behind it. Uh, if anyone were forced to conceal himself in this room, he must do it there, since the bed is too low and the wardrobe too shallow. No one there, I suppose. As Holmes drew the curtain, I was aware, from some little rigidity and alertness of his attitude, that he was prepared for an emergency. As a matter of fact, the drawn curtain disclosed nothing but three or four suits of clothes hanging from a line of pegs. Holmes turned away and stooped suddenly to the floor. "'Hello! What is this?' says he. It was a small pyramid of black, putty-like stuff, exactly like the one upon the table of the study. Holmes held it out on his open palm in the glare of the electric light. "'Your visitor seems to have left traces in your bedroom as well as in your sitting-room, Mr. Solmes. "'What could he have wanted there?' "'I think it is clear enough. "'You came back by an unexpected way, "'and so he had no warning until you were at the very door. "'What could he do? "'He caught up everything which would betray him, "'and he rushed into your bedroom to conceal himself.' "'Good gracious, Mr. Holmes! "'Do you mean to tell me that all the time I was talking to Bannister in this room "'we had the man prisoner if we had only known it?' "'So I read it.' 
Surely there is another alternative, Mr. Holmes. I don't know whether you observed my bedroom window. Lattice-paned lead framework, three separate windows, one swinging on hinge and large enough to admit a man. Exactly, and it looks out on an angle of the courtyard so as to be partly invisible. The man might have effected his entrance there, left traces as he passed through the bedroom, and finally, finding the door open, have escaped that way. Holmes shook his head impatiently. Let us be practical, said he. I understand you to say that there are three students who use this stair and are in the habit of passing your door? Yes, there are. And they are all in for this examination? Yes. Have you any reason to suspect any one of them more than the others? Soames hesitated. It is a very delicate question, said he. One hardly likes to throw suspicion where there are no proofs. Let us hear the suspicions. I will look after the proofs. I will tell you, then, in a few words, the character of the three men who inhabit these rooms. The lower of the three is Gilchrist, a fine scholar and athlete, plays in the rugby team and the cricket team for the college, and got his blue for the hurdles and the long jump. He is a fine, manly fellow. His father was the notorious Sir Jabez Gilchrist, who ruined himself on the turf. My scholar has been left very poor, but he is hard-working and industrious. He will do well. The second floor is inhabited by Dalut Ross, the Indian. He is a quiet, inscrutable fellow, as most of those Indians are. He is well up in his work, though his Greek is his weak subject. He is steady and methodical. The top floor belongs to Miles McLaren. He is a brilliant fellow when he chooses to work, one of the brightest intellects of the university, but he is wayward, dissipated, and unprincipled. He was nearly expelled over a card scandal in his first year. He has been idling all this term, and he must look forward with dread to the examination. Then it is he whom you suspect? I dare not go so far as that, but of the three he is perhaps the least unlikely. Exactly. Now, Mr. Soames, let us have a look at your servant, Bannister. He was a little, white-faced, clean-shaven, grizzly-haired fellow of fifty. He was still suffering from the sudden disturbance of the quiet routine of his life. His plump face was twitching with his nervousness, and his fingers could not keep still. "'We are investigating this unhappy business, Bannister,' said his master. "'Yes, sir.' "'I understand,' said Holmes, "'that you left your key in the door?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Was it not very extraordinary that you should do this "'on the very day when there were those papers inside?' "'It was most unfortunate, sir. "'But I have occasionally done the same thing at other times.' "'Then when did you enter the room?' "'It was about half-past four. "'That is Mr. Soames' tea-time.' How long did you stay? When I saw that he was absent, I withdrew at once. Did you look at these papers on the table? No, sir, certainly not. How came you to leave the key in the door? I had the tea-tray in my hand. I thought I would come back for the key. Then I forgot. Has the outer door a spring-lock? No, sir. Then it was open all the time? Yes, sir. Anyone in the room could get out? Yes, sir. When Mr. Soames returned and called for you, you were very much disturbed? Yes, sir. Such a thing has never happened during the many years I have been here. I nearly fainted, sir. So, I understand. Where were you when you began to feel bad? Where was I, sir? Why, here, near the door. That is singular, because you sat down on that chair over yonder near the corner. Why did you pass these other chairs? I don't know, sir. It didn't matter to me where I sat. 
"'I really don't think he knew much about it, Mr. Holmes. "'He was looking very bad, quite ghastly. "'You stayed here when your master left?' "'Only for a minute or so. "'Then I locked the door and went to my room. "'Whom do you suspect?' "'Oh, I would not venture to say, sir. "'I don't believe there is any gentleman in this university "'who is capable of profiting by such an action. "'No, sir, I'll not believe it.' "'Thank you. That will do,' said Holmes. "'Oh, one more word. "'You have not mentioned to any of the three gentlemen "'whom you attended that anything is amiss?' "'No, sir, not a word.' "'You haven't seen any of them?' "'No, sir.' "'Very good. Now, Mr. Solmes.' We will take a walk in the quadrangle, if you please. End of the Adventure of the Three Students, Part 1 Recording by Zara in June of 2007Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? That could take me a while to calculate. In the meantime, you should think about over-the-counter Contour Next test strips. You get 35 for 19.99 and they're highly accurate. For full details, visit contournext.com/radio. Just because our parents are getting older doesn't mean they don't have lots to do. They might just need a little help. At care.com, you'll find people who can take them to appointments and events, help pick up groceries and cook great meals. Whatever it is they like to do, the right caregiver can help. And since everyone at Care.com is background checked, you can be confident that you're getting support from someone you can trust. Find qualified local senior caregivers for your parents at Care.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.